Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 629 with Leah Waters. Leah is talking positive psychology and strengths, how to find them, use them. Great stuff. So you'll learn one, the best way to tap into your strengths. Two, why our strengths are often hiding and how to spot them. And three, the hack that halts anxiety. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, check out awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP629. That's awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP and then the numerals 629. Niner. Now, here is Leah's story. Leah Waters, AM, PhD, is a psychologist, researcher, professor, published author, internationally celebrated keynote speaker, and one of the world's leading experts on positive education, positive organizations, and strength-based parenting and teaching. Professor Waters is the founding director and inaugural Gary Higgins Chair in Positive Psychology at the Center for Positive Psychology at the University of Melbourne, where she has held an academic position for more than 23 years. Big thanks to Leah for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. And now, here's Leah. Lee, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, Pete. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad to dig into your goodness here. But first, I need to hear about the time you won a rap dancing competition. <laughs> okay, that's a, that was a long time ago. So when I was... So, well, firstly, you could probably tell from my accent, I am Australian. Uh-huh. I grew up in a very small little country town in Australia. The town had 800 people, now has 8,000, which is still a very small town, but 40 years ago we're talking now. So when I was 14, I went along to the local town hall on a Friday night. It was a sort of disco back then in the in the early to mid-80s, and they had a rap dancing competition, uh, <laughs> which I won because I did the worm. And I did the okay. I did the like robot rap dancing thing, and I had just learnt the Michael Jackson moonwalk. So that was it was only just you know Michael Jackson had just sort of perfected his moonwalk, and so I was able to do the moonwalk and the worm and some little computer robot dancing, and and somehow I won this little local rap dancing competition for teenagers. I think I won I won a can of Coke, <laughs> and I know, I and I won a. Because back then we're talking records, we weren't even at we weren't even at CDs, uh, let alone what we're at now. So I won a little like six inch record of of a local band in in Australia who had done a remake of 
oh, won't you take me to funky town? Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, that was my prized possession. Oh, congratulations. I remember uh, I won a karaoke contest when I was a teenager at the Relay for Life nice. cancer yeah. fundraising event. Yeah, great. And yeah, those are good memories, just being ridiculous and cutting loose. And um, <laughs> So hopefully we'll bring some of that fun and energy <laughs> into so. this exchange. Yes. Uh, even though we can't see the dance moves. No, um, no, no. <laughs> well, you, you just got a little sort of view through the Zoom. But yeah, your listeners are probably better off not having seen <laughs> me attempting to do that now as a 49-year-old when I did it as a 14-year-old. <laughs> okay. Well, it seems like you've, you've taken some of that, that positive goodness into your current career. You are an expert in positive psychology. Can you orient listeners who are not familiar with that term? What's that all about? Mm, sure. Great place to start too, Pete. Thanks. So I'm a psychologist, been a psychologist for 27 years, and I'm also a uh, university researcher in the field of positive psychology. And so positive psychology is a subfield of psychology, and it distinguishes itself because it's the science and practice of studying the positive end of the human experience. So we're looking at how do we scientifically study and understand and therefore amplify joy, wonder, curiosity, awe, love, compassion, empathy, altruism. It's a strength-based science. So it's really focusing on who are we at, at our best? What are the inherent strengths that we bring to work, bring to uh, our life outside of work, bring into our teams? And then how do we use those strengths to sort of be at our best to be pro-social and help other people and to help ourselves and our team reach our full potential. Okay. Well, amplifying some of those things sounds certainly pleasant. I, I would enjoy that in the, in the course of experiencing life. Can you also share with us a bit of the case associated for how that helps folks be all the more awesome at their jobs? Mm, okay. So what the what the science tells us and and look honestly as, even as i'm saying this people just know this intuitive you know intuitively when when you feel good you function well when you are able to bring the best of yourself to work when you're in a position where you can utilize your unique strengths the things that give you energy the things that sort of come easily to you the things that you are sort of self-motivated to do that's going to that's going to flip into higher levels of performance, productivity. And it's really, it's really sort of challenging this assumption about how do we, how do we create improvement in ourselves or in a work team or in an organization? Because most of us, Pete, were sort of raised on this assumption that improvement is a process of fixing what is wrong with us. So let me give you a scenario. Let's just say that you and I did work in the same workplace and I happen to be your boss. And we're passing each other in the hallway and I stop for a minute and I say, hey, Pete, can you make an appointment with my assistant? I want to I catch up on Friday afternoon because I've got some areas of improvement that I'd really love to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. What do you think would be the first sort of response inside your head when, when your boss says, come and have a meeting with me to talk about some areas of improvement? Oh, I'm screwing some things up. And so I'm kind of on high alert now. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, We've, we've all been conditioned to think that improvement is this process of fixing what is wrong with us. We, and so we have that scenario and you, you immediately think, oh, goodness, you know, what have I done wrong? What do I need to fix? What's not going so well? 
And yet improvement can also be a process of building up and amplifying what is right about us. So unbeknownst to you, I actually want to meet with you on Friday because your sales figures are through the roof. And I'm like, all right, if we can, if he's already at this level, and this is clearly a skill set of his, if, if we can figure out what, why he's doing so well, and we can improve that, he's going to, he's going to sell even more. If we can then figure out his sort of secret source and get him to help his fellow teammates, then we're doing better. And so our natural inclination is to sort of engage in improvement by fixing what is wrong with us. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. We, we still need to look at areas of weakness and faults and flaws and, and try and sort of shore those up. But, but what the science shows us is that you can spend a lot of time working on a weakness and you can improve it, but it's never going to turn into a strength. A weakness is never going to turn into a strength. You can, you can improve it up to a point of a level of proficiency, but beyond that, you're better off to spend your time actually working on what are the strengths, what are the things that come naturally to you, what are the things that you enjoy doing, you get energy from, you perform well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so understood. Well, then I'm curious when it comes to these strengths, well, well first, let's zero in on how does one identify them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, there's a number of different ways you can identify your strengths. And the most obvious way is surveys. There's quite a lot of surveys out there that allow you to identify what your unique strengths are in a workplace, but also outside of work. And so many of the listeners here are probably familiar and they may have done these kinds of surveys at work that help you to identify where where are those areas of sort of energy and self-motivation. And I do have a free survey on my website if people want to go to that and sort of get a start on using a survey to identify more deeply than a survey, it, it really is about tuning into yourself and looking at where are those moments where you think you get into flow, you have high levels of energy, there's a quick learning curve. So, it, you know, it's a skill or, or a process that you're able to learn with relative ease and more quickly than someone else. You know, where are the areas where you seem to learn quickly, do a little bit better than anyone else? And also, as I mentioned, just You'll know a strength because this is energizing. When we use our strengths, using your strengths gives you more energy. When you're using a weakness, it's it's exhausting, it's depleting. You know, often when I run my workshops, for example, I ask people or invite people, pick up your pen with your non-dominant hand. And for the next few minutes when we do this exercise, use your non-dominant hand. And it's always quite amusing, Pete, because you see people with their tongue out and their burrow, you know, their brows are really kind of furrowed, really concentrating on how do I write with my non-dominant hand? And it's a slower process. It's frustrating. It's messy. You know, you don't perform as well. And then I say, okay, now swap back to your dominant hand. And it's a good example of the energy and effort that's required to build up a weakness in contrast to leaning towards using our strengths more often. So we can identify our strengths through surveys. We can identify our strengths just by tuning in and saying, where are the areas where I feel energy, where I have passion, where I perform well with relative ease, where I've got a fast learning curve. But another key way of identifying our strengths is through social mirror. And what I mean by that is other people are a mirror to us for our strengths. So tuning into or uh, deliberately asking, intentionally asking other people, where do you see my strengths? Having those conversations at work where you're engaging in this technique called strength spotting. So strength spotting, as the name would suggest, is a 
It's just a technique of looking at where you see the strengths in other people and acknowledging those, you know, I really love your curiosity, Pete, and the the way that you've come to this and you've thought about the questions beforehand and you've done a little bit of research. So that says to me that, you know, you've got these strengths of sort of curiosity and love of learning and being organized and wanting to share things with other people. So allowing other people to be that social mirror, because the research shows us that for many of us, we have this phenomenon called strength blindness and strength blindness, as the name would suggest, is that we can become a little bit blind to our own strengths, sort of an interesting and cruel irony because our strengths are partly nature and partly nurture. And what the developmental psychologists have shown us is that we're all born with our own unique kind of inherent strengths potential. And some of you were born with the gift of the gap. You're really, really good communicators. Others of you were just born with a natural ability, for example, around math. Some people are really, really good at problem solving. Some people just have those really natural kind of social intelligence skills. And so because we're born with our strengths and then the environment helps us to cultivate them, we can end up having this experience of strength blindness. Because if you were born as a person who could do math fairly easily or had very good organization skills or great people skills, when you're utilizing those skills and utilizing those strengths, they've come so easily to you and they've been with you your whole life. So you don't think of them as an asset. You don't realize that this is actually a strength. This is something that that I've got that other people don't necessarily have. So we become blind to our own strengths. And that's why using your work colleagues, your friends outside of work as that social mirror is a sort of third key way of finding out what our strengths are. Okay. And now we talk about the surveys. I know about StrengthsFinder, which I think is great. And so you've got yours. You talked about the left-hand, right-hand assignment. I I thought about Myers-Briggs. I've done Mm -hmm. that exercise in many workshops. I facilitated as well. Uh, What are some of your other just total favorite tools uh, in the survey realm that uh, really elucidate this for people? There's a fantastic survey called the VIA survey, V-I-A, and it stands for Values in Action. And what I like about that survey is it's based on our strength of character. So, you know, we have strengths are kind of coming two broad buckets. We've got our strengths of talent and then we've got our strengths of character. So strengths of talent are performance-based, they're observable. You know, you can see if someone's a fast runner, you can hear if they're a gifted debater, you can uh, see if they're a gifted artist, you can taste if they're a gifted chef. The VIA strength survey identifies that second bucket, which is our strength of character. So where our strengths of talent are observable and performance-based. Our strengths of character are personality-based rather than performance-based. And in a way, they're less observable uh, because they sit inside us. So strengths of character include things like courage, perspective, wisdom, uh, kindness, humility. So these are not necessarily observable. They're positive strengths, positive aspects of our personality that sit inside of us. And come out through our choices, through our decisions, through the way we relate to other people. And so that VR character strength, that uh, survey that I'm talking about, focuses on those inner assets, the character strengths. And I also like it because it's free and it's been around for about two decades and it's been validated. It's got population norms. It's been validated and translated into 20 plus different languages. So it's a really, really useful survey uh, for listeners to go in and have a look at. And you can do it as a team. 
within your workplace and sort of identify, well, what are the unique constellation of this team? You know, who's got humor, which we really kind of need right now during COVID times, you know, who's got perspective, who's got grit, who's got those fantastic sort of curiosity, love of learning, problem solving type skills. Uh, And I also love it because for any of the parents who are listening, there's a youth version. So if you have uh, younger kids, they can also do the equivalent survey. So you can have that conversation at home of like, well, these are my strengths as mum or dad, and these are my children's strengths. So that's a lovely family bonding thing to do. And there's another survey that I'll mention too, which comes from the UK called Capify, C-A-P-P-I-F-Y, Capify. What I really like about that particular survey is that it also identifies your weaknesses. So a lot of the strength surveys are really nice because because we have this strength blindness where we're not so good at identifying our own strengths. We're all pretty articulate when it comes to identifying our weaknesses. When it comes to identifying our strengths, we're not, we don't have that same level of knowledge. So strength surveys are really useful for that. But what I like about Capify is that it gives you your strengths and your weaknesses. So you've sort of got that balanced profile. And it also identifies this third category called learned behaviors. And for me, that was something that was a real sort of epiphany moment because a strength in order for something to be a true strength. So, you know, you know, normally if I'd ask someone, how would you define a strength? And, and most people say strengths are the things I'm good at. And yes, that's absolutely true, but it's only part of the answer. So psychology research tells us that a strength is something that you are good at, but it's also something that gives you energy and you're self-motivated to do. And why it's important to have that that's the, those sort of three elements of a true strength is because there's lots of things that we grow up to be good at. We grow up to be good at them because it's expected of us, because it's part of our role at work, because we were praised by parents, teachers, our boss. So we have that performance element and we mistake it as a strength. And in the Capify research, what they would say is it's not actually a strength. It's a learned behavior. You've learned to be good at it. You've got the performance element of it, but it's not giving you energy and it's not something that you would choose to do. You're not self-motivated to do it. And for me, that was a real eye-opener because uh, in my role at the university, I was being asked to chair a lot of projects and, and a lot of sort of committee meetings. And so over time, I'd learned to become good at that. Quick meeting is always a good meeting as far as I'm concerned. You know, we set an agenda. I'm a trained psychologist, so I'm reasonably good at sort of group dynamics. And people would leave those meetings and say, oh, that's such a strength of yours, Lee. And But I would leave those meetings feeling quite depleted, (laughs) quite de-energized and thinking, oh, God, all right, well, I got through that. Now let's get back to the things that actually give me energy at work. And so I learned through the Capify that, yes, I was good at chairing meetings. I had the performance element of it, but I did not have the energy or the self-motivation piece behind it. So it wasn't a true strength. It was perceived as a strength by others. But when I started to realize that's not actually a strength of mine, it was helpful for me to say, okay, I need to know that when I, if I can, when I'm structuring my week, if I'm chairing a meeting that the hour after that is timetabled for something that is going to re-energize me, something that is using my natural strengths. And for me, that'll be research and writing and or working with my students or, you know, going out and doing some corporate work uh, because that's what gives me my energy back. That's great. All right. So we got some good views for strengths, you know, what they are, how to find them, why we're better off trying to improve those than, than work on a weakness forever. Mm. So let's th- shift gears a little bit over to some of the other tool 
tools in the positive psychology toolkit, if folks are feeling an extra dose of, of stress and anxiety and blah in the midst of, of pandemic or even, hey, months, years after the pandemic, what are some positive psychology tools that are ideal for this challenge? Mm, I love that question, Pete. You know, we're, we're just, we're all, I think so many of us have got just this classic case of mental fatigue and because we're, we're way too many months into a global pandemic and we're tired and we're working from home and we're stressed and, and it's playing out in our body. So I guess one of the, one of the, the questions is what, to what degree do we engage in stress management? And then to what degree do we say, okay, well, I, I can, I can only do so much to manage my levels of stress. I'm going to turn my attention more towards boosting my positive emotions. And so there's lots of things that we can do in positive psychology, savoring, ecotherapy, the use of laughter, capitalizing on these sort of micro moments of positivity. These are all about amplifying the positive moments that, that are still in our day, despite everything that's going on. And I can go into the detail of, of some of those for us in a moment. But then also one of the things that positive psychology does is recognizes that we can gain from adversity, that positivity can come out of negativity. And, and in fact, you can't really appreciate the feeling of warmth until you understand the sting of the cold. The two things kind of go hand in hand. So we, we, we can definitely talk about amplifying those positive moments, but I think one of the other things that positive psychology science really lends to us right now in the moment of this sort of global crisis is techniques on how to better handle those negative emotions. So mindfulness, how to grow from adversity, this notion of post-traumatic growth or adversarial growth and how to practice self-compassion. So take your pick, Pete, because we've got a whole list of things in oh, the sure, field of positive great. psychology that we can do. Well, so we've we've talked about savoring a couple times on the show. So ecotherapy, what is this? Yeah, lovely. Okay, so ecotherapy is uh, basically having an intentional relationship with nature. So that can be things like using urban spaces, going for a walk around your neighborhood, going to the local park. It can be getting out into nature reserves if you have some that are close to you. It can be as simple as going out and looking at the skyline at the end of the evening. Plant therapy. So saying, all right, I'm, if I have a garden outside, I'm going to do a little bit more gardening at the moment, or I'm going to set up a little plant wall or an indoor area for plants, even using wood, wooden materials. And so this got kind of broad idea of let's connect back with nature is really, really helpful to us all right now during COVID. In fact, some of the research is now coming out to say that we, we must have this inbuilt wisdom because a lot there's a lot more people now who are going out, exploring their local neighbourhood, connecting back with nature in various ways. And what's important about that is that when we do connect with nature, whether it's real nature as in sort of a wildlife park or whether it's using our urban spaces or plant therapy or just looking up at the sky and looking at the clouds, when we do that, it changes our physiology and what the research shows is that even within five minutes of intentionally connecting back with an outside space, intentionally taking your shoes off, when, if you go to your local park, take your shoes off and feel that, feel what it's like to have grass and earth on your feet. That when we do that, it 
triggers a relaxation response in our nervous system. Your heart rate decreases, your parasympathetic nervous system starts to kind of get activated. And so the parasympathetic nervous system is the part, the nervous system that helps to calm us down, have good digestion, clear our mind of cortisol. So there's a, so ecotherapy is such an important thing for us all to be doing during this time. And I'd love to get your take on, let's say, I mean, Chicago, winter, cold, a lot of parks, et cetera, shut down. I like the notion of using wooden things because it's sort of like, okay, I could do that anywhere, no matter what the restrictions are. Any other goodies like that? Yeah. Okay. So using wood plant therapy, I can see a plant behind you, Pete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so bringing some plants into getting some indoor plants and saying, okay, over these really chilly winter months, my focus is going to be on taking care of this plant. Skylines, like I said, anything to do with skylines. So even though it's very ridiculously cold where you are sort of getting out onto your balcony, rugging yourself up. So you've pretty much just got your eyes that are showing, but just spending that five minutes at the end of the day, watching the sunset, feeling the anything to do with water as well. You know, even though it's water inside is water is a part of nature. So connecting ourselves with water, intentionally doing that through showers, foot baths, hand baths. We have to wash our hands a lot at the moment because of biosafety and hygiene measures with COVID. So instead of just washing your hands, do it intentionally, really experience the flow of water, use it as a kind of mindfulness hack in that moment. So tuning into how am I feeling? What does it feel like to have water sprinkling on my hands? What does it feel like as I'm sort of patting my hands dry with a towel? So giving myself a little, little kind of emotional vacation for those, for that minute as we're washing our hands. And then even short of that is nature apps. So there are quite a lot of apps out there now where you can listen to the sound of water. You can listen to the sound of clouds. You can listen to the sound of, um, rain, birds, etc. So obviously it's not quite the same as being out in a nature reserve, but it still has that physiological healing benefit for us. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay. Thank you. Pleasure. Well, so now let's talk about, you know, dealing with stuff that isn't so pleasant. Mm. What's the post-traumatic growth concept and how can we do more of that? Post-traumatic growth is, I mean, we all know about PTSD and the fact that if we, if we go through adversity or a trauma, it can compromise our ability to cope and it can lead to sort of more permanent stress. So post-traumatic growth is sort of the positive opposite of that. And it was born initially out of psychology research that was looking at PTSD and how it is that we can help people who have experienced a trauma or adversity or grief or loss, how it is that we can help them to go from a weakened state and adapt back to their sort of level of happiness and functioning that was there prior to the trauma or the growth or or the adversity. And as psychology researchers were studying how do we help people diminish and manage PTSD, what they identified was that there was a certain percentage of people who had been through that same experience, that same loss, that same trauma, and were not only, this is going to, please, I'm going to apologize in advance for some bad grammar here, but it was, they were not only not experiencing stress, they were actually saying, look, I wouldn't wish this experience on my worst enemy, but I've actually grown. I've grown as a result of this experience. I have a different perspective on life. I've got different priorities now. I'm, 
I've learned that I can handle more than I thought I could. I found out really who my true friendships were and what it is that I want to move forward spending my time on. So this was a curiosity for these psychologists because they hadn't really considered, you know, they were all about how do we help people deal with the negatives of trauma um, or adversity or stress. And it turns out that there are some people who not only didn't have the negatives but had this positive. And so that was kind of the origins of post-traumatic growth. It's been studied a lot since then and it's really relevant for us all right now because so many of us are going through trauma and stress and adversity and just to know that this doesn't have to permanently affect us in a negative way, that if we approach this adversity by asking ourselves, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? What strengths do I have to bring to this situation? How can I learn that in the midst of a lot of darkness, there are still these small little pockets of light? How can I help myself develop those skills Mm -hmm. to look at those things, then we come out of that with a with a different skill set. And we also come out of this experience knowing, okay, that was not a great experience. There was a lot of adversity. There was a lot of distress. But I learned about myself. I learned that I'm stronger than I thought I am was. I, I you know, I, I learned to let go of some of those small issues that I used to put a lot of energy into and stress about. It's not important to me anymore. I've changed my mm-hmm. priorities. And we're seeing that already, Pete, you know, the psychology research that's coming out now through the pandemic is showing that people are saying, this is a distressing experience, but I'm enjoying more downtime. I'm enjoying time with my family. I've made more of an effort to stay connected with my friends, even though it's virtual connection. I've learned something new about my colleagues that I didn't know. We're coming out with some positives through this and and individually, a big factor that influences whether you come out of adversity having grown is the questions you ask yourself. It's the way you frame that adversity in the moment. It's not about Mm -hmm. denying the adversity by any means, but it, it is about saying, okay, this is really hard. I'm tired today. I can't understand why my brain, I've got brain fog. I can't think clearly. I'm feeling overwhelmed. What am I going to do about this? It's not about ignoring it. It's about acknowledging and saying, oh, okay, what meaning can I make from this? How can I grow from this? And, and what can I learn about myself? Maybe what I can learn is my limits and I, and I need to stop pushing myself as hard as I used to, for example. Well, so then it, it sounds like those are all productive questions. What can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? What meaning can I make from this? Maybe the hard part is just sort of shutting down the alternative voice that could crowd out those questions before they start like oh that was stupid what was i thinking oh this sucks i hate this i want it to be over now (laughs) so any pro tips for right in the heat of battle how do we kind of uh, head that off at the pass and, and shift gears into the the more helpful questions I think there's two ways to go with that one, Pete, and and one is mindfulness and the other is self-compassion. So let's start with mindfulness, and I think mindfulness helps you to slow your brain down, have that moment of perspective and pause where you can hear what the inner voice is saying, and so you're able to catch that inner voice more quickly and then, you know, make a decision. Do, do I head off that inner voice or do I just show compassion because it does suck? What we're going through does suck, Pete. And and we do, we have our own overlay on top of that of, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not getting enough work done. I'm too, I'm not managing my time well enough. I'm not being a good colleague. I'm not being a good parent. You know, I'm I'm tired all the time. And so 
sometimes it's about heading off those thoughts and then going on to those more constructive questions. And other times it's actually more about that moment of self-compassion, which is a big area of study in positive psychology. And it's about sort of turning, reversing the golden rule and, and turning it back onto yourself, you know, do to yourself and be kind to yourself and have that moment of mindfulness where you're recognizing I'm struggling right now. I'm not Mm -hmm. feeling so good right now. And giving yourself that same compassion you would give to your colleagues or your friends when you see that they are struggling. So just witnessing that struggle, embracing the suffering. I'm tired. I'm distressed. I'm fearful. I'm, you know, fat, ugly, Mm -hmm. whatever comes to you in that moment. And just being with it and saying, you know, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Like I recognize that you feel that way right now. So being in that moment, having that mindfulness, showing that sort of self-kindness, that self-compassion. And a big part of compassion is embracing the suffering, but not feeling lonely in the suffering. And so recognizing that we're all, everyone struggles, everyone suffers in their own way. Right now, that's easier to see because it's a global pandemic. And so we're having this kind of shared struggle, but recognizing that I'm not alone and there are other people who are going through this. And engaging in self-soothing techniques. Those self-soothing techniques can be just as simple as, like I said, that inner voice that says, oh, you know what? Yeah, you're really tired. Maybe we can go to bed early tonight. Or self-soothing through ecotherapy that we talked about before, self-soothing by reaching out to a friend. One of the really basic parts of self-soothing is actually holding yourself You can emotionally hold yourself, but physically holding yourself, it seems like a funny or silly or embarrassing thing to do, but literally like wrapping your arms around your shoulders and giving yourself a hug in that moment or patting yourself on the back or a big one. And people tend to do this quite naturally. And you'll often watch our little kids will do this too. They do it quite naturally. So getting your hand and just gently rubbing from your ear down to your shoulder blade. So rubbing the, that kind of right side of your neck. Because what's sitting underneath that right side of your neck, if you rub from your ear sort of down the right side of your neck and across your shoulder, is the vagal nerve. And that's a, that's a major nerve that helps, communicates between our brain and our digestive system, but also helps to calm us down. And so this would be the right side and not the left. Right side, yeah. Our right. It's like, I'm looking forward. I got my right <laughs> eyeball. And I'm on it because, yeah. all right. So just gentle self-touch. That's why, again, going back to that hand massage when you're doing, when you're washing your hands and having that moment of mindfulness. Another key self-soothing technique is helping yourself to laugh. And laughter Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you're ignoring that we're in the middle of a global pandemic or whatever it happens to be. You know, I had the uh, very sad loss of, I lost my sister a couple of years ago and she has a son. And we, we had that sort of moment a couple of weeks after she had died and we're, we're, you know, we're deep in grief and just missing her so, so, so desperately. And my nephew, who was 20 at that time, said a joke. And honestly, it was the, it was dark humor, but it was, it was this funny little moment of like how mum would have felt about this particular thing. And we both cracked up laughing. And, but then he looked at me and I could see he had this like feeling of this flash of like guilt, like, oh, was I allowed to do that? You know, was mm. I allowed to have this moment of like laughter in this really intense, deep grief? And, you know, I was able to sort of look at him and say, it's okay, mate. You know, you, you're allowed to, we're still allowed to laugh even in the dark times. And so 
for me at the moment, I'm very intentionally looking at funny YouTube clips, funny memes. You know, I'm, I'm asking all my friends, anything you see funny, like pass it my way because in that moment of laughter, that changes our brain chemistry. You know, laughter, laughter triggers endorphins and it triggers dopamine. Laughter also resets our nervous system. And particularly if you're having that, that big belly laugh, when we laugh, our rib cage expands. So our diaphragm expands as we're sort of engaging in that laughter. And the reason that it does that is because when we laugh, we exhale more forcefully. So we, <laughs> because we're exhaling more forcefully, we're actually re- we're releasing more air. And so our lungs <gasps> take back in, they have to kind of counterbalance by taking back in more. And because we <gasps> inhale more deeply, it expands our thoracic region and it expands our rib cage. And why that's important is because when we're expanding our rib cage through laughter, the body's intuitive system means that the the expansion of the rib cage and the thoracic system, we've got a whole lot of nerves that run through that area. And so it's like the rib cage talks to the nerves and says, hey, we're expanding and we're laughing and we're happy. And what that does is it triggers a relaxation response in our nervous system. So laughter changes our brain chemistry and it gives us endorphins and dopamines. It helps our brain, but it helps our body because it talks to our nervous system. That's why when you have that laugh, you have that really big belly laugh and then you kind of sigh and kind of sit back in your chair and like your shoulders kind of drop. And so, I mean, I've listed a whole bunch of self-soothing techniques there, Pete. I don't know if there's anything else you want to sort of go into in more depth or... Oh, no, that's lovely. Thank you. And I'm just sort of imagining on my own mind's eye how to enhance that all the more, like, and do it in a bathtub or do it with a <laughs> great blanket and space heater, you know, yes. kind of whatever, just to make the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the bathtub gets us back to the ecotherapy and the blanket, the blankets get us back to self-soothing and touch, particularly for those of those listeners who are experiencing heightened anxiety at the moment, you know, and that's really common for, for a lot of us. In fact, the, the sort of global research is coming back to show that on average, people across the globe are experiencing sort of double the amount of anxiety that they were pre-pandemic. And, and I'm a person who struggles a lot with anxiety and, and always have through all throughout my childhood and adult life. So my anxiety has really, really spiked at the moment and touch is a really, really important part of helping to reduce our anxiety. So it can be that self-touch that we talked about before, washing the hands, massaging your vagal nerve, giving yourself a hug. But if you have a pet, you know, hugging your pet as much as possible Mm. because that also releases oxytocin. And oxytocin is a neuropeptide. It's a hormone that's, it's known as the love hormone or the bonding hormone. But when we have oxytocin through touching ourselves, through touching another person, so, you know, hugging a family, friend, obviously at the moment we've got physical distancing, so you can only kind of hug those people that you live with or you know are safe. Pets, but you mentioned blankets. So blankets and pillows also create touch and they calm our nervous system and particularly weighted blankets. There's, there's some really interesting research now on weighted blankets and weighted blankets being helpful if you are struggling with anxiety. Sleeping under a weighted blanket helps you feel safe and it puts a, an extra level of just sort of weight onto you, which again sort of talks to your nervous system and helps to calm you down. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Well, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. No, I think we've covered a lot. I mean, I would probably just circle back to there's lots of techniques to use. What has to underpin that, I think, are these kind of, is these sort of three more enduring approaches. And, you know, the first approach is the strength-based approach. So identifying what our strengths are and how we can bring them into how we can use our strengths to, to amplify our life when things are going well and how we can bring them into times of challenge and times of adversity. I think it was Winston Churchill who said, never let a good crisis go to waste. You know, so how can we come out of this utilizing and knowing our strengths? So that's kind of the first approach. Then the second one is just this idea that I can grow from this, actually. There'll be some parts that make me feel bad. I'll have moments of distress. I'll have days where I'm tired and I'm struggling, but I can come out of this with new priorities. I can come out of this with closer relationships. I can come out of this recognizing that I'm stronger than I thought I was. So coming out with going in and being in this experience, knowing that I can grow from it using our strengths. And then that third kind of underlying approach, which I think at the moment is just being compassionate to ourselves and others. Well, thank you. Now, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? A quote? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've really been living on quotes these last seven months during the pandemic. So I started with Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. The quote was, tough times don't last, but tough people do. All right. And how about a favorite book? Whoa. I have so many favorite books. I don't know which one to say. What would be a favorite book of mine at the moment? I am rereading Charles Dickens. I do love A Tales of Two two Cities. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I have a website, which is leewaters.com. And remembering that my name is spelled L-E-A, so leawaters.com. And please follow me on socials, Insta, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I'm putting a lot out at the moment on just these basic little small micro techniques that we can use to help ourselves cope with stress and amplify the best of us, our strengths and positive emotions during this difficult time. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I think our final challenge right now is know your strengths, use your strengths and go to work tomorrow and be that strength mirror for someone else. If you see someone using a strength, call it out, acknowledge it. All right, Lee, this has been fun. I wish you lots of luck and positivity in your adventures. Thanks, Pete. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. I really loved Leah's trick about that self-massage. Found that that really is a good spot and can put a bit of a kibosh on the anxiety in a fast way. So I love quick tricks that uh, take little time and, and yield big efforts. I hope you like that as well. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items you've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP629. We are not going to have a new episode over the, the Christmas, New Year's week, but we're going to be back in business on Monday January 4th. And it's going to be a kickoff to to a grand year. So if you are craving some more awesome at your job during that time, I might suggest one, maybe do some thinking and reflecting instead of uh, consuming more content. It's a great time for that, I find, you know, just, just before the end of one year or another. Or check out some of the favorites, which can be found at the very begin, labeled A, B, C, D, E, F. And if you don't see those in the feed, try pushing subscribe uh, so that they appear because sometimes the feed is limited to 300 and we do some trimming. That's a long podcast or detailed story no one really cares about, but I wish you a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and looking forward to a bundle of more awesomeness in 2021. 
Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.